This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. In Washington state, BIPOC communities comprise more than 36% of the population, but only 19% of our elected officials are actually from these communities, meaning that people of color in Washington are consistently underrepresented in our government. Enter First Mile Circle, a grassroots fundraising organization that supports progressive candidates of color in down-ballot races across Washington state. And I'll just mention that at the June meeting for the Washington Indivisible Network, a ton of state leaders joined First Mile to donate, and you can join too by going to firstmilecircle.org and clicking the join button. And we know that you're going to want to after you hear from our guest, Dion Foster. She is executive director of Progress Alliance of Washington, the founding organization for First Mile. And they have just determined their statewide candidates they'll be supporting in the 2023 election this year. So Dion Foster, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're excited, but I'm good. Yeah, I was going to say the tis the season and all that. Yeah, we're I I should be sleeveless, too. You got the right idea. Um, So, you know, look, I touched on this in the intro, but just tell us a little bit more about uh, First Mile and what it does. Yeah, absolutely. So First Mile is a program that helps to fundraise money for first time for primarily first time candidates of color um, who are running primarily in down ballot races. So the idea is, you know, a lot of the time when you're you're the, a new candidate, finding those initial resources, building that list of donors and knowing who to call to ask for money can be a huge challenge. And so this program was designed to sort of meet that gap in the um, in the political arena. So what we do is we um, fundraise from individual donors and we move those resources to the candidates who both represent their communities, have strong progressive values and need the dollars. You say you fundraise from individual donors. It's officially referred to, first of all, it refers to itself as a donor circle. Tell us what it means to be a donor circle. Yeah, yeah. So I get to lead this program, but this program was actually started by individual donors who were kind of looking around and having this experience of primarily getting a lot of phone calls from people at the top of the ticket. And this is absolutely no criticism of them, but those are typically the folks who have the access to know, oh, this donor has resources and will help in my campaign. So what what it means to be a donor circle is really that it's a group of individual people. They don't all know each other, uh, but it's a group of individuals who identify as donors who are willing to give to people who match their values. Um, And it's also really important. uh, Sometimes when you hear donor, you sort of think of, you know, uh, some sort of prominent figure or somebody with a lot of extra resources. But one of the great things about this program is that there's no minimum and it's not designed to say, Uh, Oh, only if you've got five grand or something like that. Um, We have donors who come from all different walks of life and who, um, you know, give us a hundred bucks. And we have donors who are committing several thousands of dollars um, in any particular moment. So it's all across the board and it's what people can donate. And uh, I think that's one of the things that makes us so uh, worth getting involved with uh, for folks. You can get involved at any level. Um, You know, I talked a little bit about the issue of representation in my introduction. Um, Talk a little bit more about that, if, if you would, and why First Mile is geared specifically toward candidates of color. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, there's so much to say. I think when we were looking at this, you already you already talked about the data points, right? And we think a lot about how representation really matters. It's not everything, but it really matters. And um, there were, I believe, right now across the state, there are three um, county. Uh, 
council members who, uh, or no, excuse me, uh, three county commissioners who are people of color um, and uh, when this program started. Um, and I think we were looking at that. We were looking at, um, I'll say for in King County, for example, this last election cycle in 2022, uh, we elected the first woman of color to serve as King County prosecutor. And uh, Lisa you know, Mannion, th- you're speaking of. Lisa, that's Lisa Mannion, who was a first mile candidate. Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of firsts and a lot of not yet in Washington state. Um, and for us, we see that as um, as a, it matters because we not only want a representative government, but we think it's important for people to have lived experience, right? Um, whether that means, you know, ex- lived experience with racism, whether that means I was just talking to a candidate of color who, if they're elected, they'll be the only renter on the council that they're running from. Mm. Uh, and there's just so many different pieces of experience that we think it's really important for elected officials to have to serve their constituents well. And race is a, a really a key one of those examples of lived experience. So we want constituents to feel like when they look at their representatives, there's someone who understands maybe their walk of life or who's had that experience. Maybe there's someone who is multilingual or someone who English isn't their first language. And so they understand it's really important for us to have translation services. Um, and so we're thinking about that when we look. And also, I think the political sphere, and um, we probably all know this, has historically been overwhelmingly white and male when you look back, right? We're still working on parity for women. And actually, so many of the candidates that we've supported have that intersectionality and have not just been people of color, but women of color who are running and stepping in. Um, And we knew also for these groups, it's not just that the end result of representation is important. It's that the campaign experience, unfortunately, looks different. Um, So, you know, we're in our fifth year of running this program. And every year I talk to people, uh, the candidates, and every year I hear stories of candidates experiencing racism in one form or another on the campaign trail, right? Whether that's maybe having a conversation with a consultant where they're talking about okay, well, let's talk about the impact that your race is going to have or that your name is going to have, whether that means, you know, a difficult conversation with a potential constituent. There's so much, there's a a vast array of experiences that people of color are having when campaigning that are just unique to identifying as a BIPOC person. Um, And in fundraising, we know that historically sort of that acts, and this is certainly not across the board, let me be clear, because I don't want to indicate people of color at large don't have access to wealth, but we know that 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 barrier and that traditionally um, wealth skews towards uh, white folks. And we wanted to make sure that people of color had access access to the resources they needed to run campaigns. You, you said that there's so much to say on this. And I'll just ask you to say a little bit more, because on your website, you talk about how having more equitable representation in the manner that you're talking about can ultimately strengthen democracy for everyone. Can you expand on that just a little bit? Yeah, I I think that I'm glad you asked that question, because sometimes there's this feeling of like, um, oh, well, if we have, you know, people of color, it's only benefiting people of color. And it's like, we think a lot about, um, oh my gosh, no, I'm blanking on this, uh, the man's name, uh, John, um, he's down in Berkeley, and he does the research on um, uh, universal impact. And I wish I could think of his last name right now, hopefully it'll come to me. But we think a lot about how you can have sort of, when you lead with race, other folks also benefit, right? And so if we, ha- we believe that if we have more voices participating in our democracy, that ultimately we're better situated to reach the end goal of a democracy that's for everyone. And so I think, you know, in a sort of uh, principled way, if we do not have representation from the communities who are living in Washington state, it's difficult to imagine that we've really created a democracy for all. Right. Um, And the other thing that we hear from candidates is sometimes 
just the experience of looking like their constituents um, means that people feel more comfortable engaging in government, right? And I think that we've heard from people a lot of times, it's the constituents who are um, traditionally high propensity voters, more likely to vote, traditionally people who live in upper middle income neighborhoods, um, whose voices can sometimes be the loudest or the best heard um, in government. And so we're really thinking about by adding in representation from people who come from different walks of life, whether that's economic background, whether that's race, that it opens the door for those communities who live there to be heard better by their local representatives. And we think that just makes government work better for everyone. Sure, absolutely. Representation and implementation in government as a virtuous circle is, yes. is kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah. You know, First Mile has made such a substantial impact since it launched in 2019. There are big numbers, but I, I, rather than my telling folks, I'd rather that you uh, say some of these things. It's so impressive. Tell us about some of the numbers and results, particularly from the 2022 election cycle, but really since you've launched. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is our fifth year, 2023. So we 2023 numbers not included. Um, when we started the program, actually, I'll start. I'll start with how we started. We started with just a small handful of donors and right around $100,000 um, supporting candidates. In the four years that we've run this program, we've raised $1.2 million and supported 95 candidates of color who are running primarily in down ballot races. Um, and 53 of those candidates have won their races, which I think is just absolutely incredible. Um, and one of the things I, I often talk about with this program is that we don't only pick people who are sure shot winners, right? When we're looking at this, we look at people who we think their race will make a difference. And that can mean winning and governing, or it can mean the fact that we have progressives running in campaigns in areas where um, maybe they're a Republican stronghold and the Democrats in that community or the progressives in that community need a candidate to excite them to stay engaged. And people need to be reminded that progressive values are good for them and good for their economy and good for their communities. So I'll tell a couple of those stories, um, that things that just excite me. Um, you know, one is absolutely currently our King County prosecutor, Lisa Mannion, um, who was running as a first time candidate and a woman of color um, in a in a really contested race um, that we knew would have consequences, not just from a representation perspective, but from how we think about um, our criminal justice system, how we think about uh, sort of undoing racism that is baked into that system, um, and how we think about uh, integration and the opportunity to sort of reform how we're prosecuting cases. And Lisa came out with a very progressive platform um, and was running against, uh, you know, somebody who's, I, I would say, is a conservative uh, Democrat. Um, and other folks would characterize differently. Um, and for us, we invested heavily in that race because we knew that as with such a highly populous county, that race was going to have tremendous consequences. Um, and we were really excited that Lisa won um, and we were happy to have her support. And um, and she talked at one of our events last year about what the experience was like on the day when all the donations come in, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. I think yeah, I was going to say, we'll definitely get to that. It's very, so yeah. joyful. Um, <laughs> But she talked about that experience of um, getting a bunch of resources in it one day. And, uh, you know, I kind of joke and call it sometimes the the Avengers effect, right? Where you're kind of going through a campaign and you're feeling like you're getting slogged and you've got a lot going on. And then the rest of the Avengers kind of show up and you're like, okay, we got this, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, having a lot of resources come in at once, um, not only is that emotional boost, but means that candidates have the ability to um, deploy those resources and be very strategic 
strategic with what they're going to do with them. Um, you know, another race that we supported that I'll talk about from 2022, which was a little bit more difficult was, um, a woman named Julianne Gale, who we were all like just super, um, enthused by. Uh, and Julianne ran uh, for the legislature in Mason County, um, which is an area that is heavily um, Republican. And she ran as a progressive. Um, and she ran on a climate justice platform. Um, and she had been a longtime climate organizer. I think when we looked at Julianne's race, we knew that, you know, if you look at the numbers, and I don't have them in front of me, but if you look at the numbers, it's a um, it wasn't a race where we thought, okay, Julianne is going to come in and, and sweep and flip this district. But we knew that she wanted to run a campaign that involved knocking doors and having real conversations with people and not just mail. Uh, we knew that she wanted to run a campaign that like built in building community leaders and next gen and young people. Um, and we knew that she's someone who felt really committed to her community. And so we said, you know what, we want to help fund this campaign because it matters to have a progressive presence in this race. It matters to not, um, walk away from rural Washington where, um, you know, our where progressive economic policies are absolutely needed. Yeah. And we knew that her having those conversations with people would make a difference. So, so anyways, I tell you those numbers and it's, it's exciting to sort of say more than half of the candidates that we've supported has have won their races, but it's also really important context because sometimes people will look and say, Oh, you know, that person can't win. It's not, you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. We're not going to give them resources. And we try to think a little bit differently in this program, which is one of the things that thrills me. Oh man. And I know everything you're saying right now is so resonating with people who do, you know, like deep canvassing uh, type things, people in Indivisible getting very involved in that, particularly in rural districts, as you say, and also Democratic Party. Uh, I know that this, what you're saying is absolutely connecting uh, with people who are hearing what you're saying right now. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about why First Mile focuses largely on these down-ballot local races. Which positions are we talking about specifically? You talk about city council members and things like that. What, what else, what, what other positions uh, are supported? Oh, uh, well, that's a great question. So we have done everything from school board to hospital district to public utility district, um, absolutely city council races, county commission races, um, we've done legislative races, both the House and the Senate. Um, and then we did a, a slight sort of a expansion last year when some opportunities presented themselves uh, and also worked on a congressional race. Um, and so for us, you know, the idea is we always will stay true to being primarily down ballot and always people of color. Uh, but we do think when uh, I, I do say this joke about like, you know, sort of we're principled, but not precious. So we knew that like our values are really in focusing on the bottom of the ticket, because that's often where there's not enough focus. Um, or sometimes I talk to people and they go, I didn't even know we had that position, right? What is what does that do? Um, but you know, I'll give the example of last year. We also helped to um, contribute to now Congresswoman Marie Glusenkamp Perez campaign, yeah. um, and we also funded Natasha Hill, who was running um, out in Spokane um, against Kathy McMorris Rogers. Um, and in both of those cases, they were just too good to pass up. <laughs> uh, and you know, when we looked at the Glusenkamp Perez race, I think we were at the moment where a lot of folks um, at the national level didn't 
necessarily believe that um, that seat could potentially be held by a Democrat. And I think when we looked at that race and saw her as a candidate um, coming from rural Washington um, and certainly not someone who I think would be defined as a progressive, did she live in Seattle, but certainly was someone who was a, a tremendous improvement um, in representation for uh, Southwest Washington. Um, it just made sense. Right. And, yeah. and, and knowing that running a campaign against somebody who was extremely far right. I mean, extremely. We're talking about Joe Kent here. Yeah. Talking about Joe Kent. Right. I mean, just, yeah. it doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. I think the wall is right next to him. You know, it doesn't get much further. <laughs> and, and I think we looked at that and we said, this guy's dangerous. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, at some point sort of expand our parameters, but our um, majority focus down ballot. Well, so then generally speaking, how do you make the determination of which races to support? Is there a particular process? Is there a body of people who make these these, these decisions? This is also my favorite part about the program. So and I'll, I'll tell a little more of the origin story. So I talked a little bit about the donors who were saying, yeah, we get these calls and, um, you know, I'm not sure if this is the right place to give. And the other really beautiful thing about the group of people who co-founded this donor circle is that they... Um, they had a lot of self-reflection and humility and we're going, wait, so, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate. I I have resources. I have enough flexible resources that I can give to a campaign, but am I the right person to determine who the candidates are that should be supported? Or is there a way to do that in kind of a more community led process? Um, And that's what we do. So we have a committee of individual organizations. Um, Those organizations are One America Votes, which is the state's largest immigrant rights organization. Founded by Congresswoman from Jayapal. That's right. Um, And uh, Washington Community Alliance, which uh, indivisible folks may know did a lot of work, excuse me, Washington Community Alliance Action Fund. Um, They did a lot of work on the census and improving our census count um, and have just been an incredible organization. I know Kamal's probably been on the podcast a several few times. times. Yeah, we love yeah. Kamal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Sage Leaders, which is a C4 organization based here uh, in the Puget Sound that focuses on candidate development, um, climate justice, economic justice, um, and housing advocacy and um, equity. And those organizations are all led by people of color and they run the identification and endorsement process. And so they are communicating with people who are running for office. They're having uh, candidate interviews with them and they're really leading the vetting process. And sometimes, you know, we'll hear from other folks outside of that channel, but they always end up going through that channel, which is also really exciting. People will say, have you heard of this person? Have you heard of this person? And the more the program grows, the more people kind of sort of refer in, which has been gorgeous. Um, So what happens is that committee identifies the candidates and then our job, my job um, at Progress Alliance uh, is to do the fundraising and to help the donor circle to um, identify and raise the resources that will then go to the candidates. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the money bomb, if that's okay. Well, you can talk about the money bomb for sure, but the, just to put it all in context, I'm very curious how the determination is made as to how much each candidate is then to receive once they're they're, they're selected uh, by first mile. So how is that determination made? Yeah, that's great. So, you know, all uh, all races are not the same in terms of political races, right? And in terms of cost um, and in terms of fundraising capacity. So the candidates are identified and then there's kind of, a, we do, um, I would call it more of an art than a science, uh, but we look at basically the publicly available information about 
what those races have cost in the past. Um, and we look at publicly available information about the existing fundraising in those races. And we take into account whether someone maybe has stronger networks than the other person. We take into account, is this a King County race where there's likely going to be a lot of additional spending? Um, or is it a race that's in, let's say, maybe Yakima or Walla Walla, um, where to traditionally some of the larger entities have not put the same amount of resources into those communities that have gone into King County. Um, and we kind of look at all of those things and determine a specific dollar amount for each candidate based on the fundraising. And that allows, um, the, you know, the goal is to allow that each candidate has enough resources to um, get get things done, that it's actually making a difference in their race. But it also helps us make sure that we're not, say, giving $10,000 to somebody who is, you know, projected or is already out fundraising their opponent. Well, so then do tell us about Money Bomb Day, because it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. And it was, um, it was, we just did it yesterday. So I'm like still feeling great. So what happens is sort of behind the scenes, we do that math. Uh, uh, to figure out how much to allocate to individuals. Um, and then we support the donors by um, identifying for them um, what we call a slate and a recommendation for them for how they might, um, how they direct their donations. So all on the same day, everybody who's pledged money gets an email that says, here's how much we recommend you give here, here, and here. Um, and then they make those contributions on the same day, actually the bulk of them within the same time frame, so that the experience on the candidate side is this, what we call money bomb, which is all of these resources coming in. Um, and that's the Avengers moment, right? That's the moment where it's like, oh my goodness, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pay for that second mailer or, you know, hire that person or do whatever that thing was they knew they needed to do to connect with their, their uh, voters in their district. Um, and the goal is to both give that emotional boost because Campaigning is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, but also to give them financial certainty, right? So when those resources are coming in um, in one moment of time, then you understand what you have the capacity to do instead of sort of nail biting and going, okay, hopefully by this date, I can pay for this. Um, and so we try to be really, really intentional. And we've gotten just beautiful feedback from people, um, both about the emotional side and also the sort of practical side of getting all those resources at one time. Oh, I'll bet. I mean, it has to be just such so much wind in your sails to give you such a sense of, of momentum. And as you say, it's the Avengers moment. So as I mentioned at the top, you just determined your 2023 slate of candidates you're going to be supporting this year. What are some races that you'd like to highlight for us? Yeah. Okay. It's hard to pick. It's hard to pick favorites. Uh, Big has quite a few who I'm really excited about, but I'll I'll just talk about um, a couple. And I'll talk first about one that is um, we're really really excited about, which is uh, Jorge Barone, who um, I, I has he been on the podcast? Not yet. Not okay. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who is the immediate former executor of Northwest Immigrant Rights Project and just a longtime leader um, for immigrant advocacy, for racial equity, and somebody who, when you meet him, his values just immediately kind of come through and connect with you. Um, and uh, someone who we think, it, you know, uh, I hope this isn't the first and only time he runs for office. You know, I hope he wins, but I think he has such a bright um, future and I think has an, an, the incredible ability to be someone who can lead with their values without alienating folks, which I think is just um, 
a, a, a tremendous quality to have. And so we're supporting his bid for King County Council, which we're um, really excited about. And that one's, uh, you know, I'm, I live in King County, so I think about that race. Um, we are supporting an incredible woman uh, named Dulce Gutierrez, who is running uh, for city council in Yakima. Um, Dulce actually was a former city councilwoman there. Um, and she ran last year. The name may sound familiar if anybody was a first mile member last year. She ran last year for county commissioner, um, but unfortunately did not win the county commissioner seat and is now looking to um, run and win uh, for the city of Yakima. And, you know, that place is so incredibly important as a, as a community that's majority Latino and that has historically really lacked adequate representation for those communities um, and in particular adequate progressive representation. And yeah. so we're really excited that Dulce is wanting to run again. Um, and really thrilled to um, support her. Um, and then we have, you know, I'll say another sort of bucket that we're excited about is we have a lot of school board candidates this year. We have a lot of women of color who are running for school board. And that is close to my heart as a, as a parent, um, but also because I think it can be lost on us as Washingtonians that the anti-CRT movement is here in our home state. Okay. Um, and it's not, it's not an out there problem. Um, it is definitely an at home problem. And so we are supporting a few candidates who are running either to, um, to, sort of maybe I would say like take back their school boards because there was a previous sort of wave or to help prevent sort of more um, people who are, um, you know, not supporting racial equity, people who we think have questionable valuables about supporting our children with various gender identities. Um, and we think that really matters. And sometimes people talk about down ballot races only as a um, preparation ground for these, for higher ticket races. And we think that these, these instances matter so much for people's daily lives in the moment that we're in right now. Absolutely right. And this is something that we've done a lot of uh, focus on here uh, on the show and planned to we plan to certainly uh, spotlight school board races throughout the rest of the election cycle. For all the reasons that you're saying, uh, we know that the MAGA right is definitely focusing on these races. Uh, groups like Moms for Liberty are, are putting everything they have into it. And so it's really great to hear that First Mile is making a, a concerted effort to focus on these very, very important races. So, you know, this is just so all so exciting. And, you know, people's money can really go a long way here for all these great candidates that you're talking about. And we, we very much want folks to sign up, get involved. Um, how can people join, donate, learn more, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website, which is firstmilecircle.org. Um, and folks can go to that website. You can see the list of all of the candidates that we've supported in previous years. Um, and I'll just name a few um, that might be familiar. So Representative um, April Berg is one uh, who we love so much. We do um, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Senator Emily Randall, Representative yep. Emily Alvarado um, from West Seattle, um, and uh, as well as some other folks that I think people will be excited to hear some new names. So I encourage folks to go to that website and see previous candidates, but also join. you can go there and click um, the join button to make a pledge. Um, and I know I just said we did the money bomb yesterday. It's not too late. Um, we're really intentional about supporting candidates in both the primary and in the general. So we will do this all over again um, come early September. So we just encourage people who are interested to, to join now so that we don't miss the second money bomb and all the fun that's going to come along with that. 
Absolutely right. We can't encourage people enough to join and get involved with First Mile Circle. Dion Foster, uh, you are so amazing. We love all the work that you do. Thank you so much for everything that you're that you're doing right now. And also, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Oh my it. gosh, my pleasure. Thank you both so much for having me. This was great. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.